Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. This is what is known as the, 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 the chapter of faith of the heroes of the faith. Uh, they should have it up here on the screen at some point point, I think. Uh, it's... Meanwhile, I guess everyone, some, some, some of you all came ready. That's, that's nice. You guys came ready. Uh, I, this might be a bit awkward without the words, but hey, I'll just read it. You all get good at listening. Um, Hebrews 11, uh, verse 8, actually. But it's there. Awesome. By faith, Abraham obeyed. This is the, the hall of faith chapter. Uh, God's listing some of his heroes. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. How many know sometimes you can be where you're supposed to be, but it doesn't feel comfortable? He went out as in a foreign country. Uh, country and dwelt in the land of promise. The place that was promised to him didn't feel like it fit him. And that's usually what happens when you step into God's promises. Uh, He's in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. That's his son. They sons. They were the heirs with him of the same promise for he waited for the city. I think King James says he looked for the city, which has a foundation whose builder and maker is God. Uh, Abraham is known as the father of the faith. But then verse 11 is really where I really want to focus on. Sarah, by faith, Sarah, his wife, herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Look at that right there. She judged him. Where, where is it? Right there. Because she judged him. <laughs> I read that this week and I said, wait a minute. She judged him. She is Sarah with an H because it's different. Because <laughs> Sarah without an H is pronounced Sarah. And Sarah with an H is pronounced Sarah. So it's very different. So Sarah with an H... She judged him. Who's him? God. I read that. Wait a minute. Hold on. One of God's heroes judged him. She judged him. You're, you're going to have to like get that into your spirit because this is really, this is really kind of mind bending. We're so used to saying, well, God is the judge. We, we don't judge God. And yet one of God's heroes says that she judged him as faithful. She received the promise because she took the gavel in her life and made a judgment of God. In other words, judging God is not always bad. I know we live in Austin, and there's a lot of judgmentalism toward God, and uh, there's a lot of pessimism toward God. So the, 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 the problem is not judging God. The problem is whether you find him guilty or innocent. 
<laughs> of the charges that have been laid against him. She judged him. And after she judged him, she judged that he was faithful. So, so in, every, in, in, in every life, I feel like we are in a courtroom. That our lives are courtrooms. And in a, any given courtroom, you have a prosecuting attorney or the prosecutor. That would be the devil. He's the accuser. You have a judge. According to this story, that would be you. And it's so weird. I know everybody's quiet. They're thinking their brains are like being stretched right now. I've never thought of myself as the judge in my own courtroom of my life. I've always seen that God was the judger and he's deciding. And it is true. God is the judge of all the earth. But in your season, in your lifetime, you wear the robes of the judge. You sit on the bench of the courtroom of your life. And there's an accuser, always an accuser. The enemy is always bringing up to you exhibit A, exhibit B, and exhibit C. And there is a defendant. The defendant is God. God is the defendant in your life. And what, how you will be judged at the end of all of this is based on how you judge him. Notice she received the promise because she judged him faithful. She said, even though, by the way, throughout her life, the enemy had a lot of evidence to the contrary. The the evidence could be simply that God had said that she was going to produce a lot of kids and there was going to be a lot of babies. And yet she was barren since the time she was born. And she's now in her mid nineties. That's not good. And so now it's impossible to have babies. Exhibit A, you're too old. Exhibit A, uh, your circumstances suggest that this is impossible. Exhibit B, God had a chance to help you have kids back when you were younger, when you were praying, when you were believing, and you've been disappointed several times. Exhibit B, God's not faithful because you've been disappointed several times. The enemy will bring out all bits of evidence, right? And, and even, you know, like, like soaked gloves, and if it doesn't fit, you must have quit. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are too young. You don't even remember that, man. Anyway, uh, it rhymes, so it must have been true. There's no way that glove could have shrunk because of the blood, and there's no way that he was over-theatricized, how his hand couldn't. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Uh, Some people actually are guilty, but I'm just saying God (laughs) is not guilty. And all the accusations of the enemy, she received them all, she heard them all, but she judged him as faithful. And so today, basically, I want to encourage you to, to listen to, because here's the deal. In every courtroom, there's a judge. That's us. We're the judge in our, in our own courtroom, in our own lives. There's an accuser. That's the enemy. There's a defendant. That's God. But every defendant, every good defendant, every good defense attorney will bring forth some witnesses to uh, people that were there or who say they were there, who will share what they saw. <laughs> Happy over there. How's it going? <laughs> who, will share, who will share what they saw, who will share what they heard, who will be witnesses to what happened. And just like in, in a courtroom, the defendant has witnesses. God has not left himself without witnesses. God has some witnesses. 
Okay, now let's go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. You ready? He says, now you're, now you're ready. Now that I've sufficiently stretched your brain. And we might go back to Sarah with an H, possibly, um, and talk about her particular story. But many of us know her story. She ends up having a baby through faith. Why? Because she judged God as faithful. In other words, she believed the witness that spoke about God's faithfulness. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, I want to cover what we talked about last week. It says, this is the one, Jesus, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit who testifies. See that word, testify, that's what a witness does. The Spirit testifies because the Spirit is truth. In other words, his testimony is true. God really is faithful. No matter what exhibit A, B, C, or D might say about the accuser, God really is good. God really is patient. God really is kind. Whatever COVID-19 might tell you, whatever exhibit the enemy may bring forth about your family and your family history, God really is faithful. And so, and how do we know that? Because this is truth. God is on the side of truth. God truly is innocent of all charges that have been laid against him. And we know this because the spirit, the witness that's testifying is truth. But now let's go to verse 8. And this is where it gets a little interesting. Or verse 7, rather. For there are three that testify. God, in the court of your life, God has brought out three witnesses. Because in the Old Testament, anything that um, was going to be confirmed, it would have to be confirmed by the mouth of two or three witnesses. And so God brought out the maximum amount. The maximum amount of witnesses that you could could present, that's what God's brought. Verse 7, there are three that testify. Now, if you have a King James Bible, there's a whole other verse there, actually. So I'll just point this out for those of you that are reading along or studying from home. Um, There is, actually, verse 7 is much longer than it is in the NIV. But I chose the NIV because I feel like the NIV is more accurate. In this case, not usually, uh, but um, the, most of verse 7 actually was added, as far as I could tell from study, was added around the 15th century. So it wasn't in any of the ancient manuscripts. So there is a whole lot more to verse 7 if you're reading your King James or New King James Bible, um, but that was added kind of around the time that King Jimmy put together his little Bible. And it's just kind of interesting. It's not found in any previous manuscripts prior to the 1600s. There's a lot of time (laughs) that went by, and nobody had it prior to that. So anyway, I kind of believe that the NIV got it right here, and it actually flows a lot better with what John is saying. So that's a side note. He says in verse 7, for there are three that testify. There are three witnesses. And verse 8 gives us those three. Number one, the spirit. Number two, the water. Number three, and the blood. And the three of these are in agreement. (laughs) Somebody say agreement. That word just jumped off the page to me when I read it this week. They are in agreement. They are corroborating evidence. They, They haven't talked to each other necessarily, but they all say the same thing. Verse nine, we accept human testimony in a court of law, if there are three, we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. So anyone who judges that God is 
who he says he is and that Jesus is the Son of God, they are saying that because they have believed the testimony. They've listened to the witnesses. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. It doesn't mean that they have made God out to be a liar. It means that they've made themselves out to be a liar. Because actually, it's a small case H. You can't tell because everything's large case in my font. But, but it, because basically, if you have a judge who ignores the facts of the case and simply justifies the person he wants to justify and makes guilty the person he wants to make guilty, what do we call that judge? Corrupt. He's a liar. Well, this is the judgment that God is making against the Gnostics and really anyone who resists or refuses to believe the witnesses that he's presented. You're a corrupt judge. You are finding God guilty, not because he actually is guilty, but because it suits your lifestyle better or your particular prejudice. (laughs) You decided he was guilty when he first walked in. You didn't even listen to the witnesses. You didn't even hear what they had to say, whether they corroborated, whether it made sense or not. You listened to the accuser. You took that in and you believed that right off the bat. That's a corrupt judge. And basically, John is saying, look, there's some corrupt judges out there. There's some people that are, that are, that are, that are making judgment calls against God that he's guilty, but they haven't even examined the evidence. And what will happen is you will be found to be a liar. Because they have not believed the testimony that God's given about his son. And this is the testimony, all right? This is it. This is what the spirit, the water, and the blood all say. You say, how can water and blood talk? I'll get to that next week, okay? Today we're going to look at the first witness. Next week we'll look at the second. And then I think we'll look at the third and the, the following week. But this is what they all say. The spirit, the water, and the blood all say this. God has given us eternal life. <laughs> I love that there's actually three parts to this testimony. I don't know if that fits with the three witnesses or not, but the first part is God has given us eternal life. And by eternal, the word eternal means unlimited or unmeasurable. And that's true with regard to duration, living forever, but it's also true with regard to quality. God has given us an immeasurably awesome life. And immeasurably, Jesus said in John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. More abundantly is you're not going to be able to measure it. Because as soon as you start measuring it, God's going to increase whatever you're trying to measure. So if you're trying to measure how much joy you have, God starts increasing joy in your life. Peace, he starts increasing peace in your life, right? And so this, we're talking about an eternal nature in terms of duration, but also in terms of quality. This is what the Spirit, the water, and the blood all agree on, that God has given humanity access to his life, his eternal life. He has given us eternal life. And the second part of this testimony is that this life, this eternal life, is found in his Son. Right? You see that? And this life is in his Son. Okay, where is the life? Jesus, the Son of God, is the package or the wrapping or the container of the eternal life of God. He's the, he's the, he's the Amazon guy. <laughs> right? He's the one who brings, that's a poor illustration, but you know, he's the one who brings eternal life to our front door. So God has given us eternal life. This life is through his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever has the Son, whoever receives the Son, believes in the Son, walks with the Son, develops relationship with the Son of God, will have eternal life. And the inverse is also true, that whoever does not receive the Son does not have life. See that? This is the testimony that all three are making. 
And this is the testimony that I want to talk about. So today I want to talk to you just about the first witness. I want to talk to you about the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the first witness that God brings forth in defense of his case. Because when you think about it, Ro and I were talking about this last night, Christianity puts forth some pretty crazy claims, some pretty bold claims. Uh, first, it claims that it is the only way to heaven, that all other ways will lead to this place called hell, eternal suffering. That's a bold claim. There's not a lot of other religions that make that claim. Because, as Oprah said, there's so many ways. How can you say that there's only one? This is a bold claim, and yet this is the claim that Jesus made. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And that's a bold claim. Muhammad didn't claim that. Uh, uh, Confucius didn't claim that. Uh, so many other religions don't claim that. They, they, they sort of say there's this big mountain and there's several ways up there. Here's some pillars. Here's some laws. Here's some ways to meditate, maybe to help you get there. But Jesus does away with all other ways and says, nope, this is the only way. That's a bold claim. Secondly, the founder of Christianity, Jesus, claims not just to be a prophet or a good teacher or a role model. He claims to be God, literally God, God that became man. That's a bold claim. Not only that, he was claims to have been born of a virgin is what the Gospels teach us. That's a bold claim. Anybody ever study fifth grade biology? That's a bold claim. That doesn't work that way. How, how, how does that? That's impossible. And then he also claims to have raised from the dead. People don't generally come back from the dead, especially on their own, if they're really, really dead, like three days in the tomb with several witnesses dead. So there's some bold claims here, some bold claims about, about a God who created everything. Right, because several other religions just say, "Well, kind of the earth just sort of happened," and then, we, and, and it's almost like they they fit the religion into the natural world. Um, we're praying to the universe, we're asking the universe to do this or to do that, and and yet Christianity says, "No, no, no." There was one God from the very beginning who was uncreated Himself, but created everything else. That's a bold claim. Not only did Jesus create everything according to Colossians, He is literally holding all things together by the word of His power. That's a bold claim. So honestly, I don't, I don't blame skeptics and atheists who find it hard to believe the claims of Christianity. I was talking to a guy here who came in to work on the AC, and he asked, I was talking to him about Jesus. And he said, what's the craziest thing you ever heard about Jesus? And I said, honestly, the craziest stuff about Jesus you're going to find in the Bible like, it's not from Benny Hinn. It's not from, you know, televangelists. It's not from some book somewhere. It's not, it's not from uh, uh, Buddha. He's not going to tell you. No, like, the, the craziest stuff is what God says about his own son. It's hard to believe. The witness is sometimes a little bit hard to believe because it doesn't line up with human logic. And so I said, man, I understand people who struggle to believe this stuff. But here's what I do know is that God has not left himself without witnesses. That for nearly 2,000 years now, God has been backing up his claim with three very powerful, very convincing witnesses. Three witnesses that I've experienced in my life. And it's taken me from a skeptic to a, a believer. 
And not just a believer, but, you know, potentially somebody whose entire life is wrapped around sharing the, the message that I find so hard to explain. Now, why would somebody do it? Why would an intelligent person do that? Right? When I was seven, I wanted to be a lawyer. Like, that's what I want to do. Make some money, uh, prosecute some people. That's what I'm all about. Like, and I think I'd be pretty good at it. But turns out I'm actually the judge in my own life. And I have to make a judgment call about who is Jesus. And based on how I judge Jesus, this is what all of life is centered around. How are you judging Jesus? What do you say about Jesus? When you throw down the gavel of your, of your final decision in your mind, what, 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 what is the allegation? Is the allegation true or is it false? Is he faithful or is he not? Is he honest or is he not? Is he real or is he not? And I just want to share with you over the next few weeks, I want to be the voice, I guess, for some of these witnesses. Certainly a lot has been written about these witnesses. A lot has been preached about these witnesses. I'm not going to go back over all of that, but I just want to share some of the ways in which, in which the Spirit testifies. The Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus. He stands up and he says, look, I was there. This is who Jesus is. I can tell you this is who he is. So first off, let me just say how he has testified in the past, and I'll, then I'll talk about how he is testifying now, and then I'll let you all decide, make a judgment call on who Jesus is. Okay, sound good? So how the Spirit has testified in the past, you literally, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 1, where God, through the Holy Spirit, spoke about what Jesus would do. He would crush the head of the serpent. There was somebody coming that would be born of, of humanity, but would not be typical humanity, would be able to crush the head of the serpent. And starting in Genesis all the way through Malachi, there are several, 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 several prophecies about this Jesus, as what does Scripture say, that holy Man, holy men spoke as they were as the as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. So the Spirit of God inspired inspired ancient prophets, inspired Elijah to say he will grow up as a as a shoot before them, as a as a tender branch. He will grow up, and we will despise him and reject him. Uh, he will be uh, uh, smitten. We we thought he was smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, for our iniquities. The chastisement that would bring us peace was laid upon him. Hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophet Elijah, uh, or Isaiah, and Elijah, actually. Uh, he, hundreds of years before he spoke to Ezekiel, he saw a wheel within a wheel, right? He saw two things within themselves. And, and God was speaking, heck, like a thousand years before Jesus was born, David in Psalm 22 said, they have pierced my hands and my feet. This is before crucifixion was even a thing. Nobody had invented a means of killing somebody by piercing their hands and their feet. And yet the Holy Spirit gave David a picture of the cross. He said, they are dividing my clothes and casting lots for them. I don't know if you've read the gospel account, but I mean, it's very much what was going on a thousand years later. And I could like, we could spend all afternoon just talking about the ways in which Jesus fulfilled every single prophecy that was made about him, right up to the fact that they didn't break his leg on the cross like they broke the other two guys' legs because Isaiah, I think, had said that not a bone would be broken. Right, and so like this, this, there's so many ways in which Jesus fulfilled, like a like a key going into a lock. I mean, there's it was it's so precise, 
So perfect that, that when Jesus walked along the road to Emmaus with those, with those disciples that were, that were grieving and doubting, he, sim- he didn't preach a message. He just told them about the Old Testament and about how he fulfilled all of that. And at the end of that, their eyes were open. They laid the gavel down. They said, this guy is the son of God. I've never seen how anyone complete all of the Old Testament prophecies. Well, who, who prophesied? The Holy Spirit. That's the activity of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy is the activity of the Holy Spirit. He does it in order to tell people about who Jesus is. And so the Holy Spirit, and not only that, but when Jesus was born, right, the Holy Spirit sent an angel. The angel of the Lord came to a virgin named Mary, and he said, and he said hey, the Lord is with you. Uh, blessed are you among women, and, 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 and blessed is the, 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 the fruit of, 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 of your womb. I think it's the King James Version. Uh, he, 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 he says, for you will bear a son, and he will, he will, he will sit on the throne of his father David. He will, uh, his kingdom will have no end. He will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And why would the angel say that? Because the Holy Spirit, that's the message he got from the throne room of God. And he's merely conveying what God has told him. The Holy Spirit is confirming before Jesus is ever conceived who he will be. He will be a savior. And then, the, and then on the night when he's born, there's a, there's a second witness, and that is a host of angels appear uh, out in the middle of a field to a bunch of shepherds, uh, the, the uh, truck drivers of the, of the ancient world, and they're all at a truck stop, uh, sipping on their Slurpees, and then the angels just fill the night sky, and they say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men, for unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior. Why would they say Savior? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit lets us know that Jesus saves. That's what he wants us to know. He wants us to know that Jesus saves. In your own life, haven't you sensed the Holy Spirit and his call to you and offer of salvation to you when you're in the middle of your sin, when you were so messed up, you didn't think anyone could love you, and then you had this thought about a Savior who possibly could save. That came from the Holy Spirit. He said, no, no, I know somebody who saves. I know you're addicted, but I know somebody who saves. <laughs> I know you're, you're confused, but I know somebody who saves. I know you had a messed up childhood, but I know somebody who saves. <laughs> and that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, uh, through, like he sends angels, angels share the message to, to, to these, these, these truck drivers, and they go find Jesus. I love that Jesus at his birth is surrounded by holy, dedicated people, Mary and, and, and Joseph, and then a bunch of truck drivers <laughs> who were not allowed to go to church back in those days because they were considered unclean all the time. But this is the one who saves. So this is the one who calls out all the poor and powerless, all the lost and lonely, all the thieves. They all come and confess, and the religious folks too. The folks that have been keeping all the rules, you're welcome too. And we all come and gather around the one who saves. So I love that. That's what the Spirit does. He sends out messages. And, and, and by the way, he's not just sending messages to truck drivers and to religious people. He's also sending messages to pagans. Because around that same time, the Bible tells us that there were these magi. Matthew tells us there were these magi, these, these wise men. Not religious men, wise men. People who studied the stars from the east, right? And they saw a star. 
Now, it's real interesting. Nowadays, you can, go, you can go back, and there's been a lot of study into this. What exactly did they see? I don't know exactly, but around 3 BC, there was a, an, an, an astrological phenomenon that, that happened that was written about, not just in the Bible, but written about in uh, Chinese writings and in uh, 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 Arabia area, that they saw something. And this is also, so scripture is always confirming itself with actual history. I don't know if you know this or not, but Luke said that, that Jesus was born when Caesar Augustus declared that everyone had to be registered. That's why they went to Bethlehem to be registered, a declaration by Caesar Augustus. Well, that declaration is in the, the Roman history books. It's in the history books that, yes, Caesar Augustus did actually declare this around 3 BC, what we call BC, or 3 BC, he declared this idea that everybody needs to go to their hometown to be registered. Well, guess what? Around 3 BC, there was this, there was this, this thing that happened. Actually, August 11th, I think is what they say. So, come on, somebody. Uh, something else happened a little while later that was pretty awesome on August 11th, too. Uh, but no, on, 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 on August, so we celebrate Christmas in, in, in December because of a Roman pagan holiday that we tried to blend, the early church tried to blend in with the birth of Jesus. Nothing wrong with that, but Jesus wasn't born in December. So it is theorized that perhaps he was born sometime between June and August uh, in the summer months because this, this phenomenon happened. And what the phenomenon was is Jupiter, which is the biggest the ancients would call star, we call planet, but they called it a star because they called them roaming stars. Jupiter, which was named Jupiter because the king, uh, the king of all of the Roman gods was named Jupiter, and the planet, Jupiter is the brightest um, star out there, so they said, oh, that's the king star, that's the, that's the king star. So the king star, Jupiter, yeah, so the king star, what the wise men probably saw was the king star Jupiter came into, came into close proximity with another star called um, Regulus, which Regulus means regal or royal. And so it's also sort of a kingly sort of thing. But three times, <laughs> those stars came, over three days, those, those two stars came into close proximity. In other words, king of kings came together three different times. And the Magi said, wait a minute, something is happening. There is a king that is above other kings. There is a greater king that's coming into contact with other kings. And he's being born. And so they came to look for him. Well, about, well, about 40 weeks later, actually, um, June, in mid-June, uh, 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 Jupiter was still doing its thing, appearing before the sunrise. You would see it. It would be extra bright. Well, Venus also went in a very strange pattern, and Venus and Jupiter came together so that they, they overlapped each other. So it became a bigger star than anyone had ever seen before because it's like one big star. And so many believe that that could be perhaps the star of Bethlehem, that perhaps they saw this sign, they started traveling. When they saw the sign, it took them about nine months to get there, and by the time they got there, this new super thing happened. And uh, they, it was absolute definite proof to them that Jupiter, the, the king of kings, uh, was, was happening right there in Bethlehem. What's God, what's the Holy Spirit doing? <laughs> He's saying, hey, hey, the, I know someone who saves. Like you might, you might be far off. You might not even believe in God. 
Like he's sending messages to people that are watching the horoscope. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's crazy. That, now, church folk, won't, won't, they won't like that because that's demonic. You gotta, I don't know. Like, I, there's definitely a demonic side to it for sure. But I'm telling you, God created the signs, the stars for signs and seasons, he said in Genesis. And so he is reaching people right where they're at. If they're reading the horoscope, he's talking through the horoscope. That's the Holy Spirit. He's bearing witness to Jesus. He says, look, I'll stand up and testify. This guy's the king of kings. This guy, he's in charge. You've never seen anything like this. There's a, there's a blending of two things coming together. Humanity and God are coming together. Venus and Jupiter are coming together. And it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be a new kind of humanity. And the, <laughs> and the Magi find him. But throughout Jesus' ministry... The Holy Spirit is confirming. Jesus' first sermon, right? He stands up and they hand him the book of Isaiah and it, he opens, it to the, opens the scroll to the part that says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me <laughs> because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. That's the Spirit. And then after that, he's baptized by John in the Jordan River, and he comes up from the Jordan River, and the Spirit of God descends on him uh, in the form of a dove. It wasn't actually a dove, but it was in the form of a dove. And this is confirming what God had told John, that the one that you see the Spirit rest upon, he is the Son of God. (laughs) And so the Spirit of God is revealing himself. The Spirit of God isn't isn't there to tell you all about the Spirit. He's just the witness to say, look, I was there at the foundations of the world. I was there when all this stuff was happening. I know who the Word is, and the Word is standing right there. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that's through the revelation of the Spirit. He's testifying about Jesus. And those who believed his testimony judged Jesus to be the Son of God. Those who believed his testimony. And after Jesus was crucified, we understand scripture says that he was raised by the power of the spirit. That the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that dwells inside of us, quickened his body, raised him from the dead. And that's the same spirit that dwells inside of us. But then after that, Jesus said, look, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will pray the father and he will send the spirit to be a a paraclete or a walk beside, a helper for you. And he said, so I want you to wait. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit, until you're endued with power by the Holy Spirit. And so the day of Pentecost that we celebrate uh, as Christians is celebrating the day when 120 people were in the upper room and suddenly the Spirit came down into that room. Uh, A mighty rushing wind was blowing around. There were these like things of fire over people's heads. They began speaking in other tongues. It got crazy. It was insane. And people started gathering around. And Peter, right? Peter, who, who just 50 days prior was so afraid of being caught by the Sanhedrin that he lied about the fact that he even knew Jesus. Peter, like, this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit turns timid people into bold people. He turns, you know, hide, hiding Christians into, into evangelists. And Peter goes down and he basically gives gives his sermon and he ends the sermon with this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and God. Why would he say that? Because the Holy Spirit was talking to him. The Holy Spirit was talking through him. And that day, 3,000 people in front of the Sanhedrin decided that 
they were going to lower the gavel and judge Jesus as Lord and God. And scripture goes on to tell us through the book of Acts that that was no little thing. That those people who made that decision suffered financially, physically, but spiritually, (laughs) they were set. Because they had found the truth and they landed on something that was true and they held on to something that was true. So emotionally, spiritually, they were good. But physically, they suffered. And that's, honestly, that's, that's what happens even, even today. The Spirit testifies still about Jesus. He's still testifying. Every single time he draws, and, and I don't just mean with religious people. He's not just firing up Pentecostals. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's not just making Pentecostals jump because pretty much anything will make them jump. Like, you know, you just, just, just mention the blood and they'll just, whoo. Oh, like, okay, and, that, and, and that, that's great. They're excitable. But, but, the, but the Spirit is not just influencing people who are naturally influenceable. And we're talking the lead singer of Corn. Some of you guys don't know who that is, but it's, uh, I guess I'm showing my age. But I'm just saying, go to YouTube, learn something, all right? Just figure it out. But no, like, like, like people who don't think would, would acknowledge the lordship of Jesus will acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. That is, what, what, that, is, that is the witness standing up in your life and in the life of every atheist in Austin and saying, hey, if God's not real, how come that guy turned his life around? How come that guy believes in this crazy thing? How come Jordan Peterson's talking about the reality of Jesus? Like, how, if, if Jesus is completely just a myth, if he's just an idea, why are intelligent, thinking people with multiple degrees on the wall turning and saying, no, I, this, there's something to this Jesus guy. There's, I think this might be the truth. What? No, it, like, this, this, this is one of the strongest witnesses we have right now is the activity of the Holy Spirit. And I wish I could get into some of the things that have happened even here with people falling out in the Spirit and people having supernatural healings by the Holy Spirit touching their body. That is proof that Jesus is real, that he is who he says that he is. Every single time something like that happens, every single time, even for me in my life, like just this past week, when I'm just in the car ordering Starbucks on my app on my phone and the Holy Spirit begins to just speak to me, and you just begin to cry, and you don't know really why you're crying. Like, there's no reason. I'm not sad. I'm not emotional. Nobody said anything to me that was exceptionally awesome. It's just the Holy Spirit began speaking to me, and it's proof for me. I, I, like, a man with an experience is never at the, at the mercy of a man with an argument. So you may have some atheistic arguments. I have some powerful experiences with the Holy Spirit, and I know that I know that this thing is real. And for those who have not experienced it and, and doubt it, I don't blame them for doubting it. Nor do I accept their doubt as proof that it's not real because they've never experienced it. <laughs> That's a little circle. You can, you can go back over that in your mind if you want. I just kind of took you on a little journey. But I'm just saying, if you claim to have never actually experienced something, and then you tell me that that thing doesn't exist, you don't know what you're talking about. 
Like, if, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's like, it's, it's like Micah telling me, you know, something about vehicles or something about, I don't know, German chocolate or something, something about uh, New Zealand food or, or something about uh, K-Pauls in, in Louisiana, you know, Cajun cooking. I mean, just because he hasn't tasted it doesn't mean it's not good. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I happen to have been there. I happen to have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And you can't change my mind about that. I have tasted it. And I don't blame you for doubting it, but I am living proof. The lead singer of Corn is living proof. So many people down through history who have Jonathan is living proof. Romeo, who walked in here, he got saved like three months before coming to City Chapel. We baptized him with the ankle monitor, had to keep his leg out of the baptism. He's living proof that God can take somebody who, like, and, and, and if Jesus isn't real, how is all this change happening? Who is changing these people? Like, it is just positive thought? If that's the case, all these self-help books would be, would be empty in prisons, and yet in prison, and in foxholes, and in times of persecution, and in difficult situations, people are turning to someone who is real. And the Holy Spirit's revealing, and there's some powerful stories. Man, I could just keep going forever, but I won't. But there's, uh, let me just end with one story. We've been talking a lot about Afghanistan and the interesting stuff that's been going on there with America's involvement. But, but to be honest, missionaries have been involved in Afghanistan and in northern Egypt and in Muslim-dominated countries for decades. So whatever the American military involvement is, I don't really know. I'm not, that's, not, that's, not, that's not my purview. I'm not, I'm not qualified to speak on those things. But I can tell you the spiritual, the missionary side of things. I can tell you that right now people are being persecuted more in Afghanistan than they were uh, a year ago. But I can also tell you the church is larger in Afghanistan now than it was a year ago. How is, how is it that people die, you lose members through death and intimidation, and yet the church grows? The Holy Spirit, the blood of the martyrs are the seed of the church because the Holy Spirit confirms. Because every single time somebody dies for their faith, you wouldn't die for Santa Claus. You might even believe in Santa Claus, but you would not die for your belief in Santa Claus. Nobody's going to go to their death for something that they somewhat feel possibly may not be true. You must be absolutely convinced that Jesus is the Son of God for you to go to your death for it. And the Holy Spirit, through 2,000 years of church history, has been proving to a doubting world what their intellect cannot understand, their heart can identify with. That person believes that person is certain of something. And if they're that certain, I'm not that certain about anything. <laughs> I need to get what they got. And so the church in Afghanistan is growing. And one of the ways that, that uh, in Muslim countries, we were talking about this on the first Wednesday, or Wednesday night worship, we were talking about how the Holy Spirit is evangelizing. I mean, he's working with people, he doesn't do it by himself, but he's working with people. One of the things he's been doing, and this has been going on for years. I was talking to some missionaries a couple of years ago before COVID, and they were talking about how one of the main ways in Muslim-dominated countries and like northern Egypt and different places, one of the main ways that Christians are, are, are missionaries to these places is a, a Christian missionary will walk into a village, a small village. Maybe there's 100 people that live in this small village, and they'll pray about which house they, they should stay at. Because in Muslim, uh, in the Muslim religion, you know, if if a stranger asks to stay at your house, if they, if they don't have a place to stay, you have to let them stay there. It's also in your 
Christian Bible, too. You just haven't read that. <laughs> Let me just throw that out there. I'm just saying. Keith Green would want me to remind you that, uh, that, that it says, do not, do, uh, Paul says, do not hesitate to entertain strangers, for in doing some, some have entertained angels. And so you don't know who's at your door, so welcome everybody. Okay? So anyway... Um, We'll just leave that there. But, but, but no, this is, this is Muslim culture, deeply embedded. So a missionary will pray about which house they go to, and then they'll go to a house and knock on the door and say, hey, I don't have any place to stay tonight in this village. Um, can I stay at your place? And they say, sure. So they, they bring them in. They also have to provide a meal for them. So over the meal, the missionary will say something like, have you guys had any weird dreams lately? And this is safe because if they say no, wow, great. You know, they're, they're not caught. They're not found out. They're not going to get reported and beheaded, right? Because it's very dangerous. And so they'll just ask a question. If you had any weird dreams lately? What they've been finding is that the Holy Spirit has been, has been preparing the way and has been showing up in Muslims' dreams. And, 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 and what, what happens is that often they, ha- they did have a dream. Sometimes the husband had a dream and the wife had a dream on the same night and they didn't tell each other. And the next morning, this, 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 this person comes and says, have you guys had any strange dreams? Yeah, actually, I had a dream about Jesus last night. He was dressed in this white robe, and they believe in Jesus. He's in the Quran. He's a, he's a prophet. And, uh, and so Jesus is in this white robe. He appeared to me, and he said, I am the Son of God. And they're like, we don't know what to think of that. That's really weird. Like, what, God has a son? Like, how does that work? Uh, what, what are you talking about? And, 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 and so then the Christian missionary can say, okay, well, would you like me to share with you a little, about, a little bit about that? And they'll open up the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit will breathe through the scriptures and stand up and testify that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, I mean, like... More Muslims, by the way, have turned over to Christianity in the last 15 years than in the entire history of the Muslim religion since, since Muhammad founded this thing. So if, if, if you think the world's getting darker, I can tell you that, well, you're watching too much news, for one. Uh, and for two, you're not listening to the witness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, sure, the world, there's, there's a sense in which it is getting darker. But the light is still stronger than darkness. And it is prevailing and it is moving. And just because in your particular corner of the world here in America, everybody's freaking out about politics, doesn't mean that everything else in the world has stopped. God is still moving. God is still witnessing and testifying. And I can tell you here at City Chapel, God is still testifying. The Holy Spirit is still witnessing. People are visiting because, well, they probably should go to church, and then they feel something in their heart. Not something I say, not something we sing, certainly, not something we... No, that's the Holy Spirit. And they go, I don't know what that is. That's the Holy Spirit. They start sensing hope. What is that? Is that a good message? No, that's the Holy Spirit. I can, I can, I can tell you all day long there's hope for you, but, and you've probably read several memes that suggest the same thing. But the Holy Spirit makes all the difference. When you feel hope, that's different than a meme or a person telling you there's hope. You feeling it is proof that the Holy Spirit is working. His hope is always in Jesus. This is the difference between political hope and real hope. This is the difference between hype and hope. Hope comes from the person of the Holy Spirit. 
he stands up and says, look, I know your circumstances told you that God doesn't care. I know the enemy has presented exhibit A and exhibit B that God has left you. And if God did really care, why did he allow this to happen? And if, and if God does want to heal people, why is COVID-19 raging? Right? Exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C, exhibit D. And, but the Holy Spirit stands up and says, look, that stuff's not true because I've been with Jesus. He is one, the son of God. He is good. He is faithful. He is the prince of peace. He is the prince of peace. They shall call his name wonderful. <laughs> so let's just start right there. He is wonderful. He is absolutely beyond compare. He is wonderful. You look at him in wonder because you can't quite, you can't measure how great he is. And as soon as you start to measure how wonderful he is, he appears to you in a more wonderful way than he did before. And the more you live your life and the more disappointments you face, the more wonderful you find him to be. <laughs> and the more uh, people might talk bad about you and the more betrayal you might uh, go through and the more financial loss you may receive, you find out how wonderful he is. Because he was wonderful when everything was wonderful, but then everything stopped being wonderful. He continued to be wonderful. You know he's not a product of circumstance. He is wonderful by himself. He's not just reflecting the, the shine of your particular attitude today. He is in himself wonderful. And if you can get close enough to him, his wonderfulness will rub off on you and start making you feel wonderful, no matter what you're feeling prior to getting close to him. So call his name. Wonderful counselor. <laughs> the, the one who gives advice and good advice. Mighty God. Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. I don't have time to keep going. But the altar call is, the question is, do you, will, you, will you believe in him? Will you judge him to be that in spite of conflicting evidence? So, Father, we come before you right now and we ask for the Holy Spirit that has been actually talking while I'm talking. <laughs> The Holy Spirit that has been whispering in people's ears while I'm talking. The Holy Spirit that's actually been talking to me while I'm talking so I know what to say to the people. The same Holy Spirit that empowers and gives the words to speak. The same Holy Spirit that gives courage to martyrs. The same Holy Spirit that gives wisdom to missionaries. The same Holy Spirit that shows up in dreams of, of Muslims and, ex, and expounds upon the, who Jesus is. We invite that Spirit right now just quickly to speak to us to stir up hope inside of us, to stir up truth inside of us. And I challenge you, whether you're watching from home, whether you're here in person, I challenge you to settle it in your mind right now who Jesus is based on the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And if you need more evidence, you can just ask. You can just ask, Holy Spirit, show me. Show me tonight in my sleep even. I've done that before. Uh, Peter was asking for me to pray for him about whether he should go into the Marines. And uh, this is years ago. And I felt like if I prayed, my opinion would sort of be mixed in because I'm his brother, and so it's a little <laughs> hard to say. So I said, Lord, give me a dream because I don't want it to be me, my opinion. And he did that night, gave me a dream. It's the Holy Spirit. He wants to speak to us. He wants to prove to you that Jesus is God. And that Jesus is faithful. 
He wants you to be like Sarah with an H. <laughs> he wants you to receive what he's promised.